Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 11 of Bochmansier. The audio is going to be a little different this week because I'm recording on the road. I'm in Michigan right now. More on that after the chapter. But just really quick at the top, I wanted to let you all know that Bochmansier is entirely and will always be entirely listener supported. I won't run ads on this show. So if you like this sort of thing, if you want to encourage this weird audiobook podcast experiment that I'm doing, head on over to patreon.com slash And now, without further ado, let's get into the story. Bochmansier, a novel by Strangely Duesberg, read by the author. Chapter 11, A Visit to Adlon. Why does comfort have such a capacity to unsettle? How is it that safety and stability carry a secret promise of unmaking? Perhaps there are folk who can look at the good times and not feel a creeping fear in the pit of their bellies, but they are not the ones in this story. What is it that pushes them to fear safety? Is it something so deep within us that many have forgotten it is there? Imagine you are one of the ancients, people lost to the mist of time, those who lived and died before writing, before pictures, before houses, these are hard scrabble folk, crowded into caves, scratching out food from a world that seems tailor-designed to destroy them. Each night they huddle, whispering tales of the immense creatures who doubtless move through the woods just beyond the safe ring of the firelight. This little band has among their number one who seeks nothing so much as a soft place to lie down and sleep. Not the hard beds of rough fur piled in their cave, but something cozy and warm, perhaps under the eternal blue sky above. One afternoon, while foraging for berries, this seeker after happiness finds a little depression in the woods, a gentle dip in a copse of trees filled with soft moss and leaves. With a sigh, the forager collapses onto the loam and falls into a deep and dreamless sleep, fully relaxed and comfortable for the first time in a life of deprivations and discomforts a rest so removed from wakefulness that the approach of the beast whose nest has been invaded goes unnoticed. That night there is one less hungry monster moving through the darkness, and one less forager huddled around the fire. To be sure, those of us who find contentment and drop our guard in the wrong moment can wind up eaten, but does such a fear still have a place in this day and age of warmth, comfort, and relative stability? Slice wakes up the next morning, not with its customary start, but with a slow, languid climb to awareness. The cat rolls over onto its back and stretches legs up and down, luxuriating in the warmth and comfort it finds itself in. Slice realizes the wrongness of this waking. Safe is not something the creature is used to. With a nigh-audible pop, the cat's body tightens into a ready coil, senses alert for any danger. There is none. Instead, the cat finds itself perched at the foot of a bed with two humans in it. The window, facing out toward an alley, stands well open, almost an invitation to a nervous cat to make itself scarce. A prickle in the hackles alerts the cat that it is being watched. Slice glances at the humans to find the larger one regarding it, curiosity apparent in her sly, half-closed eyes. The cat blinks at her. With a haughty sniff and a flick of its tail, Slice moves toward the window. The woman makes her clicking noise, soft 
and gentle. The cat pauses and then minces back up to the bed and headbutts the woman in the face. The motion was perhaps a bit too rough, but the human takes the meaning. She smiles at the cat and bobs her face. Slice makes its way out the window in search of some privacy and a patch of early rooftop sunshine. Eleanor glances at the oversized silver alarm clock hanging from Kells' ceiling by a chain. It is decidedly morning, so much so that she wonders if she got enough sleep. The daylight coming through the window seems almost a bit too bright, but she thinks she can bear this particular pain with relish. Things are good. Now that the thought has crossed her mind, it is followed by the realization that they are too good, too kind, too perfect. Something deep in her chest warns her to leave. Pack her bags, dash away. Perhaps it is just so long away from her coat. It has been years since Eleanor has spent more than a few waking hours outside of her coat, and with the exception of getting it cleaned, it is never out of arm's reach. When getting her coat cleaned, it is Eleanor's usual custom to pay whatever it takes for the shop to see to her coat while she waits. Why has she broken with her routine? What is it about these people and their little world that makes her feel so welcome, so safe? She should go, collect her things, and set out. Instead, she pads out to the other room and busies herself picking up all the objects from her pockets. These are stacked with neat efficiency into a large box Kells had given her the night before. Each and every item is a physical manifestation of all the memories Eleanor has made with it, all the experiences the thing has witnessed. Though not possessed of the curiophile's peculiar knack, she does have a version of the gift, a joyous ability to imagine the stories of the objects. More often than not, she is correct. At some point as she works, a bowl of porridge and a cup of coffee appear on the floor in the middle of the room. Eleanor mumbles thanks as she sips the coffee. The riffling sound of manipulated playing cards pauses for a moment, and Kells answers in a matching mumble. Eleanor realizes she is smiling as she continues to pick up the objects from her coat and put them into the box. Is her life truly so small? When everything is in the coat, it seems to expand. The possibilities diverge in a thousand directions, objects begetting stories, begetting objects, and so on. An endless cycle of Eleanor's wondrous ability. As she places the last object, a tiny snow globe containing a miniature Victorian woman holding a crystal ball, Eleanor says, You know what I'd like to do today? Kells is in a corner of the room juggling a pair of heavy-looking wooden clubs with her right hand while doing curls with a small dumbbell in the other. She looks at Eleanor without stopping. What's that? I'd really like to go poke around Adlin's store. I have a few things I'm looking for that I'd like to add to my show. Kells nods. Sure. Do you mind if I finish practicing first? I should be done in about half an hour. Sure. Eleanor pulls a book from Kells's shelf and begins to read. Before she knows it, she has fallen into a madcap adventure of a magician hot on the tail of a notorious gambler. The gentle rhythm of Kells's juggling joins the soft sounds of Eleanor's hands moving along the pages of the book as she reads, tracing each line with one of her long, clever fingers. Neither of them notice the cat's return, a presence already so natural it does not warrant comment. It is only as they rise to leave, donning their shoes, that the question of the cat is raised. 
Kells is worried about leaving the creature alone in her apartment, a problem Eleanor solves with a prompt suggestion that the cat should accompany them. Kells reaches for a piece of rope, her intention to fashion a leash clear, but stops when the cat makes a warning growl in the back of its throat. Eleanor laughs. Well, I suppose if the cat runs away while we're out, it won't be any worse than it was yesterday before we'd met? Kells sniffs. I suppose. Come on, let's go. I didn't get a chance to really spend any time in that shop the other night. Adlin and Martin were too keen to get a drink. Those two, and they call me a sot. Well, you can put it away. It sounds like a rebuke, but Kells can see the twinkle in Eleanor's eyes. Kells punches Eleanor in the arm and then holds the door open. Their eyes lock. Slice becomes impatient and makes a haughty exit, pausing once to look over a withered shoulder. Eleanor clears her throat. Shall we? As they approach Adlin's store, Kells's walk begins to slow. She too has sensed a tension, a fear of the comfortability they both feel. Something in the ease of understanding that has formed bothers her. At their feet, eyes darting this way and that, Slice slinks along as if they were not walking in a group together. Kells has never owned a cat, or any pet, but this mangy beast has begun to grow on her. She catches herself imagining what it would be like to wake up a month from now, Eleanor and the cat already bustling around her apartment. Unthinkable. And yet, she so wants to think on it. Everything all right? says Eleanor reaching a concerned hand toward the little juggler's shoulder. Kells shakes her head to clear it, then nods. The taller woman smiles as they begin to walk again. You went away there for a moment. Sorry, just thinking about how I've never owned a cat. Slice freezes and looks up at them. Somehow, the creature understands that it has become the topic of their conversation. The tail, no longer held straight up, begins to twitch, in warning. Eleanor laughs as she pulls open the door of Adlin's shop. Kells follows her inside, as does the cat, after only the briefest hesitation. Hello? Kells calls. The counter is deserted. The curio file is nowhere to be seen. Kells begins to poke around, glancing down aisles deeper into the store, and then hops up on the counter and sits, Legs swinging. Slice follows suit, curling up on the keyboard of an old foldable computer. Kells rubs the back of her head. Adlon does this sometimes. Pops out for lunch and forgets to leave a note on the door. Martin would be mortified to do such a thing. He's always leaving little notes for customers. My favorite one, which I think I have in my scrapbook, says, Shop closed due to gastrointestinal distress. No. Eleanor cannot quite credit such a thing, but Kells is so dead serious about it that she can't help but take it at face value. Who on earth needs that information? I have no idea. I think it's his way of making a joke. A uh, joke? Adlin's voice drifts up to them from a small grating set into the floor at the foot of the counter. Is that you, Kells? Have you... Brought the sorceress with you? Yes, Adlin, it's us. Ah. The sound is pleased, 
if a bit strained. I seem to be a bit stuck at just this moment. One of my bookcases seems to have developed an over-familiar liking to me. Would you perhaps be willing to offer some assistance? The mice don't seem to be too interested in helping me. Eleanor and Kells exchange a wide-eyed look. Kells hops down next to the grate. Are you hurt? No, just stuck. On our way. Kells suppresses a laugh and then snatches Eleanor's hand and takes off down an aisle, dragging her startled friend along. At the end of the aisle, they turn right and then left and then right again to go into a tiny doorway marked employee only. If Martin's shop is a tree built upward, extending tendrils through its floors to press up against the very roof, then Adlin's is a fungus, a mycelial collection of storage and storefront that pushes down into a pair of layered basements and even some of the connecting sewer tunnels. Once, while drunk, Adlin had complained to Martin and Kells that the most annoying customers were the ones who came in from the underground. Martin had nodded sagely, opining that in this part of the city, there was always a rodent problem. Perhaps Adlin should get a cat. Adlin had bristled at this, offended that Martin would suggest that mice were a problem. I'm not talking about mice. I mean, the ones who come to me for spice racks and gems, sheet music, and so on. Kells had tried to press the issue, but Martin had changed the subject and it had never been discussed again. Still, the basement of Adlin's shop gives Kells the creeps, though she would be hard-pressed to say why. She is glad she has Eleanor to put on a brave face for. The deeper they go, the odder the basement's contents become. At first, it is the expected bric-a-brac, much like that which is on offer in the store above. But as they go further, the objects become larger, their forms and functions often hidden beneath immense sheets or locked in large boxes. At some point, though it would be hard to say when, the contents of the basement begin to tend toward order. If the shop above is an orgiastic miasma of this and that, these narrow pathways are the opposite. Each row of crates or boxes is arranged with care. There are even labels on most of the shelves or little tags affixed to the bigger objects. Eleanor stops, pulling Kells up short. She points at a wardrobe. What does that mean? Affixed to the large piece of furniture is a neatly printed label which reads, Death Coats. Kells shrugs. Probably coats people died in. Eleanor purses her lips. I guess so. Not sure what I was expecting. Further thought is interrupted by Adlin's voice drifting toward them from the far end of the large room. I'm over here, ladies. They find the curio file lying on a couch pinned beneath a toppled bookcase. On the couch and the floor around it are dozens of small clay figurines, 
Many of them have been shattered, revealing the small objects contained within. Bits of bone, bits of feathers, and other things. Some of the smallest glittering particles remind Eleanor of something. Adlin nods at them as though they have just met by happenstance in a cafe. Ah, hello. I was taking a nap when this shelf decided it wanted to get a bit better acquainted. Could have bought me a drink first. Kells laughs. Always buried in work, eh, Adlon? I see your products are just flying off the shelves. Eleanor cannot resist joining in with their fun. The sudden cloud that passes over Adlin's face makes her regret her words at once. Were that it were not so true, Adlin replies with a faraway look. Freeing the shopkeeper turns out to be a relatively simple process, and before long they are all back upstairs enjoying a cup of coffee from Adlin's pot. Though the machine is worn and stained to an alarming degree, the beverage it produces is a delight. Kells begs Adlin for the secret, but is rebuffed. They descend into an argument as comfortable as an old boot. Eleanor listens with quiet amusement and reaches out to examine a small statue on the counter. The argument begins to wind down, and Kells makes a show of stomping off, Adlin pretending to hex her with a crooked finger like some fairy tale hag. Eleanor mimes blocking the spell. Nay, you shall not harm her. Now then, dark one, tell me of these mouth organs. As Eleanor and Adlin retreat into a deep discussion of the relative merits of a pair of harmonicas, Kells finds herself alone with the cat. The creature has followed her up an aisle, watching her with eyes that look a bit too intelligent. Kells stops, studying the little beast. What are you? she asks. The cat blinks, but otherwise does not reply. Kells sighs. Of course you're just a cat. I don't know why I thought you might be something else. I guess I just wish for stuff like that, ever since I was a kid. With a flick of the tail, the cat is gone around a corner, off on secret feline business. Kells rolls her eyes and shakes her head. She pads off in the opposite direction, to begin searching for decks of cards and funny objects in groups of three or more. Kells returns to the front counter about an hour later, her search having proved fruitless. Eleanor has had more luck. A small pile of assorted curios and a book sits on the counter between her and Adlin. The shopkeeper is in the midst of a story about an old clay onk which sits beside Eleanor's pile. Slice jumps up onto the counter again intent on resettling itself on the warm keyboard. As it passes Adlin, the shopkeeper reaches out an absent-minded hand to stroke it. Something like an electric shock passes between them. Adlin freezes for a moment before exclaiming, Empty bread box. This cat is nearly 40 years old. Is that old? Eleanor looks up from the onk eyes alight with interest. For a cat, it's practically immortality. An average house cat will 
live 15, 19 years if it's very lucky. There are a few known cases of cats living much older into their thirties. But this... Adlin's voice trails away. Do you have any idea where this cat came from? Slice can tell these humans are interested in it, but do not want to possess it. This could be a very good turn of events. The cat continues to allow the slow human to stroke its back, rubbing against the large, oddly shaped hands. Eleanor and Kells exchange a look. Kells offers, I guess we don't know for sure, but look at it. It's pretty malnourished. Adlin nods, speaking from very far away. I suppose it must be a stray. I used to have a cat very different from this one. But then, but then... The shopkeeper shakes like a wet dog. I am sorry. It is late. I should go clean up that mess in the basement. Now, if I am going to make it to my... Oh, no. Your money is no good here. Adlin's head shakes, thoughts elsewhere. The pile of curios is pushed toward Eleanor with a shaky smile. The shopkeeper starts to move away from the counter. Would you at least let me help you straighten up the basement? No, but thank you for the offer. I need to go find out if those little, so hard to find, good help. Adlin's voice trails off. Something is remembered or realized. The shopkeeper shakes like a wet dog and then mumbles apologies and comments on the time. The hour grows late, and Martin will be heading for the pub soon. Eleanor makes her purchases, and Adlon begins to bustle around, closing up shop. Kells promises they will be back soon, and they move to go. Just before they open the door, Adlon says, Oh, by the way, the cat's name is Slice. Eleanor starts to ask how Adlin could know such a thing, but the shopkeeper is gone, back into the maze of the store. Kells tugs on her sleeve, leading her to the door. The little magician's voice is gentle. Come on, lady, we'd better go. When Adlin gets like this, it's best to clear out for a bit. On the sidewalk, Slice yowls at Eleanor. She stops and bends down to see what all the fuss is about. The cat takes this opportunity to leap up, and make itself comfortable on her shoulder. Once perched, Slice begins purring in a distant and thoughtful way. 
Though it does not speak the human language, something about the last word the slow human said rings true. It is a sound that means slice. Somehow, the human knows its name. The tall human repeats the word while looking at the cat, her excitement obvious. For a moment, the cat is unsettled by the prospect, but then decides it might be for the best. If these humans know its name, it will only increase their attachment to it. And Slice knows, when humans become attached to something, they will often do anything to protect it. In a world suddenly full of things with no smell, and mice with dead eyes, this is good. Very good, indeed. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Poche Mancier. Uh, I'm sorry that the audio quality is a little bit different, but I'm currently on the road, so I wasn't able to record at my studio. I'm actually doing this in the basement of my aunt and uncle's house here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, later this week, I'm going to be performing at a wedding for my cousin. Uh, but for next week's episode and all episodes to the end, I will be recording in my studio in beautiful Fairhaven, Washington. So look forward to that. It's looking like the final chapter count is going to be 19 for this novel. So look forward to that. And we should be wrapping things up about August. I think August, right? I think that's how math works. I don't know exactly, but look forward to that. Uh, thank you all so much for continuing to listen to this. I wanted to put out a call to musicians if you have a song that you feel tonally fits with this kind of story, sort of a urban fantasy about books and antiques and, th- and magic, uh, feel free to send that along, and I will put it at the end of the show. I wanted to start featuring music by sort of folk musicians and stuff that fits the style. So if you'd like to share one of your songs, go ahead and shoot me an email at strangelywritesbooks at gmail.com. You can also connect with me by going over to pochemancier.com. And as always, you can help support this podcast by heading over to patreon.com slash strangelywritesbooks. Thank you again so much for listening. I can't tell you all how much I appreciate having an audience for this little story. I hope you all have an excellent week, and I will see you next time for Chapter 12, The Jacket.